White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 764. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. From a long-abandoned military outpost on the Orion 7 colony... It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Andy, how are you tonight? I'm doing great, Van. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good. I'm your host, Van Allen Plexico, and joined as always by my co-host, Andy Fix. And Andy, this is our increasingly rare, yet always anticipated, season-ending review episode. And we are joined, as we have been for the three previous ones, I'm pretty sure, right? Mm -hmm. By our good friend, Nathan Laws. Nathan, welcome back aboard the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Van. I always enjoy it. Yeah, we have to turn to you because when we get to the end of the season, we want to get another perspective and see what we got wrong, what we got right, what we're missing, and what other things we need to be thinking about and the audience needs to think about. So we're really happy that you could come in and join us. And I want to apologize to our listeners because we are about a week late on this one. Uh, just because of a whole variety of things going on, including wrangling folks and trying to make sure we could get everything together in time. And um, we ended up pushing it to the weekend, and then, the, and then I was busy all weekend. I couldn't do it. I didn't even ask you guys. And so we had to reconvene this week. So I hope that people don't mind that we're a few days late. But you're going to get three for the price of two tonight, so it's all good. We're going to talk about the probably – now, this is one of the things we can talk about – I don't know if this was the best season. There's a there's an argument either way, but I don't think we. I I think you have to say it's the biggest. Biggest is not always best, but it is the biggest season. This is the this is the one that punches you right in the face constant, almost, almost constantly, almost. right, almost, right. So, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the season, and then we've got our usual categories and questions and so forth to help us along, but. Um, Andy, start us off, and then I'm going to see what Nathan, because I want Nathan to be able to react to you as much as anything, right? But start us off with our, from 20,000 feet, or our view from Epsilon 3, what, now that now that season four is in the books for us, just kind of your overall impression, and, and different from how you thought, the same as you thought going in, all that kind of stuff. Going into this season, and I said this uh, the first the, the whole first chunk of our, our podcast was just wait for season four. Season four is a rocket ride. It's going to be it's going to be huge. It's going to be the best you know season of television ever. And on and on and on about this. And then we get to season four, and it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't what I remembered. It, yeah. it, I'm not saying it was bad at all. I I still loved it, but there are a couple episodes in there that that kind of surprised. There's a whole there was right in the middle of the season where it started right around uh, episode seven mm-hmm. till about episode wow. 12 there was just like a lull where it was just kind of flat 
and we discussed it ad nauseum during the podcast, you know, the reasons why and all that stuff. So that was the biggest, the biggest surprise for me. I mean, we got the two big endings to the, you know, the two resolutions to the, the two big story arcs, the two big conflicts that were going on. So, I mean, that was great. But and the it third. Was, <laughs> but uh, it was, it, it, it was just, uh, I don't know. It, I, I don't want to say I was disappointed or let down. I just had, I had a, I, I came away with it with a different feeling than what I expected. It was huh? still very satisfying, yeah. uh, but it was just different from from what I remembered it being. But then, it's been years since I watched the whole season. And there's watching it the first time versus watching it with expectations, right? So we'll exactly, talk about that. exactly. All right, Nathan, your reaction to that and your own kind of view about that season. Uh, so, season four to me is one of the. It's always kind of a strange conversation because I don't think there's a bad episode in season four. I don't think there's a bad episode in season three either. But for me, season four was more of the I've never been able to live down like the letdown that I felt at the resolution of those two main conflicts and how quickly it just seemed like they just went, boom, it's done now. And, you know, and I get, you know, all the behind the scenes reasons now, but as a, when I was 16 watching this show, you know, when it was first airing, I didn't know any of that. I didn't know the reasons why that was happening. And I felt like there was all this great buildup to a very quick resolution uh, both times. And that kind of disappointed me. And so I've always kind of looked at season four as kind of like a letdown after season three, where I felt like all of the rising action like was fantastic and like everything was building and building and building. And I never felt that the resolution really came home with that. But I hate saying that just because it makes it seem like I don't like season four. And I do. I love season four. There are so many fantastic character developments within season four. It is a, it is a season where many of these characters start stepping up into, you know, like who they're going to be. And we see like the journey is sort of like, Oh, like, these characters we've seen since season one, they're evolving into, you know, uh, uh, more than they were in the beginning. You know, Jakar and Londo are perfect examples of that. There are, there are characters we've carried with us from the beginning and they've had this relationship that, that then like completely transforms, uh, you know, in the fourth season. And, um, you know, uh, the, the character moments are so good in this season and the plot is great. And just like I said, I just felt like it. the resolutions were just truncated too much. And it just felt to me like it didn't satisfy what I was expecting. So, Andy, I think this Nathan has brought us exactly what we needed, which is that other perspective we talked about, but neither one of us really had. But that's, that's good, all right, because we're getting different viewpoints on it. Because Nathan, Andy and I talked about over the course of the season that um, – just exactly what you're talking about that and and I don't want to I'm not trying to characterize your point of view but you make me you make me think of this okay whether it's mm-hmm. representative or not which is I, I said at the time some people prefer the build up to the resolution because when something like this is building up you can imagine how it's going to go right it's it's mm-hmm. com- it's a it's a complete open mystery and you can imagine it being as good as you want and then when you actually get the resolution, you get the one version that the creator decides to go with, and it may not be the one you wanted or were hoping for, or it may just disappoint you, or as you say, kind of be too quick. And so I, I find that in, this, in that sort of circumstance, 
where there's a buildup and then a resolution, people generally prefer the buildup to the resolution. Does that make sense from your perspective? I understand what you're saying, but I think the fact that even JMS was under pressure and had to do mm-hmm. things quicker speaks to the fact that it's not just something that's in my mind. It's something that JMS also felt the pressure of yeah. wrapping things up too quickly because we know he said he planned on ending season four with uh, intersections in real time. Yes. Um, and so there probably would have been three or four more episodes to the Shadow War. Because, you know, typically yeah. in the season, the turning point episode happens about episode nine or ten. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably when that would have happened. And so I feel like that was really short. And then the Earth Civil War, I feel like, probably would have taken a lot more of season five. Like, you know, six to nine episodes of season five to wrap up and get us to the, you know, Interstellar Alliance and all of that sort of stuff. So I, I, I think feel like... It's more than just me projecting. I feel like JMS actually was feeling pressured. And so I'm, I think I'm cluing into that, that the writing does feel like, oh, well, crap, I got to like pull all these threads together really fast, um, you know, and, and, and it comes through. All right. Yeah. Vane and I talked about this during during the season. We agree there. there it, it, it some of it was rushed. Um what JMS did is he cut out a lot of the middle stuff so that the storylines didn't have time to breathe so much. So yeah, right. I, I, I don't disagree with you at all, Nathan. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking, Andy, too. You summed that up real well. And the other, the other thing I was thinking is even so you still get essentially a six hour resolution of the shadow war. And I don't know that I would have wanted it to go any longer than that. I mean, I, I feel like the, the storyline to me that was really truncated too short was the Minbari Civil War. Andy right. and I talked about that at the time. Andy and I were like, okay, so here's the first episode where they're going to set up the Minbari Civil War. So I guess in three or four, you know, three or four episodes, we'll get the end. And the very next episode, we're like, well, that was it? <laughs> it's already done? <laughs> they did it in two episodes? Really? I, we, we had forgotten that. We were both thinking mm. that it was going to go a good bit longer. So... I, you know, I felt like six episodes for the Shadow War was plenty, but but like Andy said, and like what you were alluding to, I think what was missing was it could have gone eight and had a little more breathing time in there instead of just bang, 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 and and the Earth War too. Um, I I don't know. I mean, since it's since it really started at the end of season one, I'm not sure how much longer I wanted it to be dragged out either, honestly. So. I, I mean, it depends on how they did it, right? It dep- I think it would depend on how they how he executed it. Yeah, I just always felt like there should have been a little more back and forth, but it's pretty much like once they decide to move on Earth, it's just straight line right to Earth, and it's just like I would have liked a little more, give or take, you know, the, the shadow augmented Earth vessels I would have liked to have seen put out a better showing maybe and have them, you know, have to regroup a little bit, you know, on the other side and, and come back at them. Right. But it just feels like they were so overmatched. It's like, geez, why didn't you guys take care of Earth like, you know, months ago? <laughs> you Before know? they right. had time to build those ships, too. I mean, you could make a good argument. Argument that you could make a good argument that um, that Sheridan should have used the Barbarossa strategy, which is attack them early before they have time to catch up to you militarily. Because mm-hmm. if Sheridan had moved on Earth a year earlier, they wouldn't have had any shadow freaking right. ships that could do all that damage. It would have been straight Omegas, and we know how that would have gone, you know. So. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree 100 percent, Nathan. We talked about that as well during the during the uh, the uh, regular podcast. Um, 
it, it, it almost seemed too easy for, for the uh, Alliance to when they were marching on Earth and Mars. The, the Earth Force didn't put up much of a fight, even with the, and those shadow ships, the, the shadow destroyers are so freaking cool. I wanted to see more of those. I wanted to see them be that threat that they look you know, like they should be, and they just, they, they just ah, weren't. You so. know what was missing? You know what was missing? When you said that, it occurred to me exactly what's missing. They should have gone toward Earth, if they'd had time, right? If they'd had more right. time, here's what they would have done. They'd have gone toward Earth, run into those ships without knowing about them, and gotten their butts handed to them, escaped, mm-hmm. and then said, let's use the telepaths and the boxes on them. Mm-hmm. Right. Instead of just going straight into the, you know, literally the end game. They they went into the end game, literally, and kind of skipped the middle game, you know. Right. So right. And there's I, several other things I felt like could have played out longer, like rescuing Sheridan could yeah. have played out a little longer. That did and seem very the, easy. Right. And more of the politic kind of stuff that they set up really well, like at the beginning of season four of the, you know, sort of war of misinformation and stuff and Mm -hmm. people's impressions about this and why people might not, you know, sign up with Babylon five and the things Mm -hmm. that they're thinking about them and stuff like they could have done a lot. I feel like, yeah, they could have gotten still a few more episodes out of that if they had had a little more time and played with a few more elements, you know, so I've, I've said all along, if they do a new series, one of the things I really want them to explore is what they really didn't touch on at all here, which is what's going on with the population of Earth under this fascist regime. We didn't really ever get a sense. And I mean, in 1998 or whatever, 1997, 98, that wasn't as much on people's minds, right? But in today's 2023-era political climate, it's very much on people's minds, what are people thinking politically, right? What are, 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 is, is, are my neighbors following this leader or that leader, right? It's right in our faces now, the way it never used to be. And so I would love to see the Clark regime as a sort of a way to explore the ideas of what do the regular people do when fascism kind of becomes in fashion and and takes over and stuff that's we never got that in in the show right Right. the most we get is when that liaison officer joins Mm -hmm. in season three for that one episode she talks a little bit about it and about like how they're basically just redefining terms and it's very 1984 very much like you know yeah homelessness doesn't exist because we've redefined what homelessness means you know kind of thing so Yeah. yeah yeah and and we got a lot of that in the expanse um, mm-hmm. So it, I, I think JMS would take a page out of that book since Expanse yeah. took so many pages out of Babylon 5's book <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that JMS yeah. would take a page out of that book. And I, I think uh, that would be really cool, like like you were saying, that they incorporated that in, the new, in, in a potential hypothetical new series. I, I, I've said from the beginning that the Expanse is probably a model they'd want to look at on how to do yeah. a new Babylon 5 in right. a lot of ways. Um, Okay, anything else you guys want to say about Season 4 in general before we get into our categories here? Because we have quite a few categories. We have plenty to talk about. But I don't want to... Anything else we've missed about Season 4? I think it'll come up in the categories if we if there is. I can't, I can't think of anything. I mean, we... Yeah. All right. 
Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into it then. So I, we've kind of addressed this. Did season four live up to the hype? And and I mean, Nathan, you kind of led off with maybe not just because it was rushed, right, to a certain degree. Right. Yeah. So so to me, it was a slight letdown. Like yeah. again, I still think season four was great. I was still very excited about the show, very interested in it as it was going on first time. And nothing in my rewatches have had me change my mind about that. But yeah, I I feel like it is a slight letdown. Okay, Andy. Ultimately, I would say yes, it did. Um, looking back, I did. I tallied up my ratings for season three, my ratings for season four, and my rating, my my uh, average rating for season three was a three point oh, and I'm rounding. Interesting. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm only yeah. That surprises me because we had a lot of good ones in se- we had a lot of high ones in season three. So we did, we did. Um, and my average rating for season four was three point five. So um, they were very close. I I, going into season four, I would have said, "Oh, season four is going to get four stars easily, average," Mm -hmm. Um, and it didn't. Which kind of it was? It was actually three point seven, but I rounded down because we don't do you know the yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say it's 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 episodes like racing Mars, lines of communication, conflicts of interest. Those are the ones that kind of brought it down, weren't they? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And we could see that coming. So. So, but but I I thought that the the I really enjoyed the way that they resolved both conflicts. Mm-hmm. What Nathan? What was the third conflict you were talking about? That kind of the Minbari, the Minbari the... Civil War. Oh, okay, yeah, gotcha. So I like two out of the three uh, resolutions to the conflicts because I really didn't like that Minbari Civil War one. Yeah. I mean, I liked even even then we talked about this, you know, as we watch it. Even then. I still like the resolution. I just wish there were more meat to the story. So I like the way they handled all the conflicts as far as the resolutions. I thought they were different from what I was expecting, you know, originally going into it, the way they ended both of them or all mm-hmm. three of them. Um, so I, I still think it was a great season of, of television. I, I still love it. And they were breaking new ground back then. I mean, I'd, we're looking at this, you know, with – a couple decades worth of you know the golden age of TV that has completely changed the landscape of, of how oh, yeah. television shows are produced and written and all that stuff. So even even looking through that lens, I still think it was a pretty solid season of television. Yeah, I for me um, it did. I like I said, I I can understand how it how they needed a little more space for the for the two. Well, certainly for the Minbari Civil War. That's absolutely right. The other two, to a certain degree. Again, I, I don't know that I would have wanted them to go much longer, though. And um, and so, and I always thought Into the Fire was great. I know that a lot of people have issues with Into the Fire, and we talked about that some. But I I thought yeah. it was, I thought it was the perfect way to end it. Right? You have to you have to understand your way out of it. You don't just like win a battle. And right. and and I honestly never knew how they were going to end either one of those two big storylines because. You know, all the stuff with Kosh and Olkesh we talked about in season three, I told you that when I really, really fell head over heels in love with that show was when I realized that the stuff I was thinking I would do if I was JMS, they, I'd then watch the show and they would do it. And I'm like, my gosh, we're like on the same page here. This is on the same wavelength, you know. But not season four, right? Season four, I had no idea where either one of those things was going. And so I was very much just kind of like swept along and, and, and surprised. So... Well, that carries us into the next category. What surprised you the most about this season? And and I say, especially compared to your expectations going in, but just in general, what would you say was your big surprise thing, Nathan, if anything? 
Uh, I mean, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it was just how quick those conflicts resolved themselves. Like, that was the thing, like, uh, while I was watching it, that, again, I, you know, like, we have intersections in real time, and it's like, oh, my God, like, everything, you know, everything has gone wrong for these people, you know? Like, Garibaldi is kind of a traitor, you know, like, unintentionally a traitor, but he's a traitor, you know, Sheridan's captured, you know, like, everything's falling apart. And then in three episodes, we wrapped it up afterwards. It was just, like, it just felt to me like this is too quick to come back from that. So, uh, yeah, I was I was very surprised by how quickly the storylines wrapped up. Yeah, I got you. Andy? For me, it was that lull right in the middle of the season. Like I said, it started with, uh, I think it was episode seven or eight, uh, for like four or five episodes. I don't want to say the shows were, the episodes were dogs or anything like that, but they they weren't as good as I remember them being. And I think we talked about this during the, the regular podcast, too. There were a lot of great moments in those that those middle episodes, but they weren't cohesive. I mean, they, they, they didn't lead to great episodes. They were just great moments. And I just remembered them. I just remember the moments and forgot the rest of the episode that they're in. So I forgot that they were less than stellar episodes. So that, that kind of surprised me how, you know, we rated, I mean, we, we there was, there was a, 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 a stint that went 3.0, 2.5, 3.0, 2.5, 3, you know, mm-hmm. and not that saying that three stars is bad, but it, it, it's not at all how I remembered it. So that, that kind of surprised me. I think the first time through, we didn't know what was coming later. And so right. those middle episodes hit harder. But, and, you know, I've watched the series all the way through five or six, seven times. So, but it had been a long time for, you know, and I'm glad I'd waited to watch it kind of this time fresh for the first time in years. And I felt like knowing what was coming later and knowing that two or three of my favorite episodes were coming up toward the end, it made the middle seem like a lot, just a lot of, spinning wheels you know and, and it, right. it needed it you didn't need four to have even more you didn't need four to be even more compressed down but it, it just it felt that way to me i think that maybe in hindsight i get it in hindsight i get that clark is basically hitler in the bunker and he's going to shoot himself when the red army is at berlin you know but at the time i expected that there was going to be some kind of a military action on earth that they were going to drag Clark out in handcuffs, that there's going to be a battle in the headquarters building, you know, that kind of thing. And when he just shoots himself, I was kind of like, dude, why did you just shoot you? Again, I get it now. It's Hitler in the bunker. But but at the time, and he's a pretty poor man's Hitler, by the way. But at the time, I was really shocked that how... And and I don't know that if... if, Nathan, I don't know if it's that it was quick... It was more. It was. It wasn't a time thing to me. It was just more of an abrupt thing. You know, is there a is yeah. there a distinction there? Yeah, I I, I see what you mean, and uh, yeah, I think it's a little bit semantics, but yeah, I, I can get the distinction. Although I did actually kind of like that because when you think about the fact that you know he no longer has his powerful allies, you know, he was alive in the shadows, yes. and you know, and so that was part of how you know he thought that that was his safety net. If right. things ever went bad, his allies would come in, and so it's like he's gonna he's gonna destroy the earth on his way out. So I didn't have any problems with the actual arrival at Earth. I just feel like there should have been a little more between the arrival at Earth and what happened at Earth. Yeah, you know, uh, between you know <laughs> Sheridan being you know captured and everything falling apart to that. Hmm. Well, we're gonna talk about 
Clark and the other villains in just a minute. So I'm going to I'm going to I got other things I'd love to say, but I'm going to hold on cuz in just a couple of questions I'm going to ask you guys about the villains this season and I think it's going to be a fun little side conversation. But first, did you have a favorite story development? This is a question we I talked about in season 3, maybe in season 2, one I don't even remember, but was there a particular thing that played out in this season that you were really really happy about, Andy? Hey, there were so uh, so many great character moments in this uh, season that it's hard to, to really put a finger on one. But I think those are character moments. Um, as far as the plot goes and as far as advancing the story goes, I thought the coolest part was um, when, Sherrod, when Sheridan became the president of the Interstellar yeah. Alliance. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. It was a, a neat upgrade to the character. You know, he leveled up. Um, without taking over the earth and uh, it, it was it, it was a political move not a military move so I thought it was it was a neat way to advance the, the the story as a whole and to advance the character as well so I really enjoyed that yeah me too I'll, I'll just go ahead and echo that one because we talked about rising stars one of my favorites it's a it's a random episode in a way and yet I just love it I love it I love that it's not an episode of that you'd have seen in most shows we, we talked about how not many shows, certainly in that era, would have done an entire episode, you know, just of basically the main character getting a promotion. And there's there's other stuff too. There's other stuff going on too. But Star Trek, you know, we talked about Star Trek would have had there would have been some kind of a an action plot, and that would have just been in the background or the or the or the epilogue. You know, it wouldn't have been right. the main plot. So I really right. appreciated that about it. It was a very Babylon Five show. Nathan, was there a, a story? Uh, development you were particularly proud of, happy with? Uh, well, I mean, this is where it hurts that it's been a while since I've done a watch through. Um, but I think thinking about it, and, and I know you guys have been saying like you were a little disappointed by it. I think the Minbari Civil War was something that I was not expecting and that I really enjoyed hmm. uh, this season because it's been simmering in the background, you know, throughout the throughout the show. You know, even from season one, even though we saw a whole lot less of it in season one, but we know it's been going on in the background because of stuff that Delenn was dealing with in season one. So, you know, and for that to suddenly come to the forefront and be a shocking event like that, and then how it unfolded into the revelations of how the Earth-Minbari War started and... You know, we get that that brief moment that I love, and I know it's a controversial thing, but it starts Lanier's character arc going because as soon as he started questioning Delenn about her relationship to Sheridan and trying to say like, "Oh, it's just because you feel guilty," that's the only yeah. reason you're dating yeah. Sheridan. I I knew at yeah. that moment I knew how Lanier's story was going to end, and that's yeah. like what you said, Van, about you know how there are times when Babylon Five just did the thing that you were. That you were like ah that yep. and, and you felt like you were in, in sync with the show like that was that was one of my moments and um and uh then we get naroon who oh. Oh, i love Narun as a character i think he is one of the truly great characters that they created mm-hmm. uh that that Trisinti created for this show and that resolution and how it makes to- so much sense again with everything that we've been told about the minbari and for a warrior to come forward and say that he believes in the religious caste and to kill himself for Delenn and the resolution to that and breaking both of their power and then the workers who we've been told about all this time but we never actually see yeah. and for them to be the ones who are in charge now 
and to make these two sides play nice. It was just like almost chef's kiss to me. Like, this is a great story development, story arc. Everything about it I thought was handled really well. So I, I loved that storyline. You know, and, you know, yeah. going going into season four, in fact, going into those episodes, I was telling Van how much I loved the Minbari Civil War and how I was so looking forward to, to seeing those episodes again. And then that's these are the episodes that I felt were a lot of really cool moments. Everything that you just mentioned, Nathan, th- those were great moments. The, uh, I mean, just every every bit about them in Barry Civil War, but the episodes themselves, they were just great episodes plunked down in the middle of other stuff that was going on. Bane and I <laughs> talked about this. There was one episode where where it should have been about the Minbari Civil War. I mean, the whole episode where it was resolved, it seemed like the B plot or even the C plot because there was other stuff going on in that episode mm. that they paid more attention to. Yeah. So it was kind of frustrating, and I did love that storyline. I do, I do love those moments, and I just wish that they they would have been put together in more cohesive episodes. Yeah, it occurs to me that they basically did in some ways the French Revolution because ultimately the first estate and the second estate gave way to the third estate, right? The peasants, the workers right. are kind of the peasants. And the difference is that it was an aristocrat who handed power over mm-hmm. to, the, uh, to the third estate. And it makes me wonder if the show could have kept going, we could have gotten a Napoleon to come out of the worker cast and take <laughs> over and be like a dictator Minbari and then you got to kind of go after him for a while. You you put a Napoleonic figure in charge of the Minbari, you got an issue. You got you right. got a situation in the galaxy and the and the ISA. Right. It ultimately ends up kind of being more Londo, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, and that was the other thing is I liked how ultimately every major race had an issue to deal with. Right, Earth had a mm-hmm. civil war and the con and the ties with the shadows and everything. The Centauri had their their issues with Cartagia and the shadows and everything and Morden. Uh, the Narn basically got invaded, got overthrown. They were on their governments on the run, you know, Jakar and everything. And then, uh, and even the Minbari had issues. So, um, again, with more time and space, I would have liked to have seen what the what the did the Drazi just get a clean walk right through all this? They, <laughs> if it wasn't green purple season, the, the Drazi were just like Drazi not dealing with issues right now. Drazi very good. <laughs> Other races inferior to Drazi having problems. We're good, you know. So anyway, I, that's. Um, it would have been interesting if they had had time to sort of play with the idea of these what used to be the superpowers like mm. crumbling, and then some of the you know non-aligned you know worlds like sort of like stepping into like some of the you know uh, shoes of, of some of those. But you know, we we never really had the space for that in the show to explore the- that. The Brakiri got a little promoted by the fifth season. I don't want to go into spoiler space here. It, it felt like JMS needed a, an alien race to kind of step forward and do more stuff by season four. And since the Markab were gone, they had to. He kind of promoted the Brakiri because the other races were not terribly. Uh, emotive, I guess. You, the Vree were, you aren't going to really do a lot with the Vree, right? They're just little little dudes with giant heads and giant eyes and flying saucers. And the, the Drazi have their own issues. You're not going to get them to be... You, you needed kind of a semi-human kind of... Anyway, I just thought the Brakiri were interesting because they kind of became the everyman aliens in in, in season mm-hmm. form. form, form I, I think that they really missed a golden opportunity by not promoting the Pachmara. <laughs> See again, they have issues. They, he, I, 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 I approve and appreciate JMS making many of the main alien races very alien, right? 
very mm-hmm. much more alien than they would have been on Star Trek, for example. But the problem is when you need them to do story stuff, they are uh, somewhat limited, right? I mean, you know, if, if you need an anal probe, you got the Vree. <laughs> but if you need like a rational race that can contribute military forces and not be jerks about it like the Drazi would be, right? Then you need the, mm. the Bakiri, so... But yeah, I did. I like that they were very different alien races, and they had strengths and weaknesses, and communications issues in some cases, right? And uh, mm-hmm. and so, um, let's see. Have I? Yeah, we haven't looked at. How, so how? I, I, we've kind of answered how could season four have been even better? I'm going to say that our answer is, and then you correct me. I'm going to say that season four could have been even better if it had had a little more room little more space to kind of expand and not just go bang, 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 bang. It, it, anything you guys want to add to that, either one of you? No, That's I, basically what I have. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I, I, I put the uh, uh, more attention to the uh, Minbari Civil War. That that would have been... Yes. Because I, knowing what we know about, you know, why everything was truncated and stuff like that, and, and all things being equal, I still think they could have done more with the, with the Minbari Civil War, even within those constraints. And, uh, yeah. yeah, you made a really good point a minute ago, Andy. I'd forgotten that not only did it get resolved in like two episodes, but at least one of them was barely even paying attention to it. It was like the it was like the C plot on its own episode, and that just seemed right. that didn't seem fair to the story. Right. So, I mean, I guess he he wrote the story he wanted to write. He had more room there if he needed to, but it still it just yeah that was the thing that yeah. that rubbed me raw about it. All right, Shadow War or Earth War? We got to settle this. Which which overall would you say was was better and better handled, better resolved? Shadow War or Earth War? Nathan, go for it. Well, are we considering the whole series or are we considering just this season? Just this season. Yeah, let's look at oh, this season, yeah. Okay, then to me it's the Earth War. Okay. Because um, I, I feel like there's so much interesting stuff that happens with the earth civil war like i say they and there is there is interesting stuff that happens with the shadow war but i really i really did feel like that final bit and and you alluded to it earlier van like the sort of just get the hell out of our if an ant told me get the hell out of my lawn i'm not going to listen to the ant and it just felt to me like there needed to be a little bit more to that story to resolve it so 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 you wouldn't you wouldn't look around say Will you go with me? <laughs> oh, Andy, we're on this. We're always on the same page, my brother. It's amazing. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly. I, I felt like I felt like because like JMS basically said like, well, I didn't want it to be like a big violent conflict because I knew that's what the Earth Civil War is going to be. But I still feel like you could have had some action yeah. along with the idea of the philosophy and the sort of like getting them to confront themselves, you know, to confront each other directly and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. like, I don't know. I it's think just... that was there. I think it just kind of got shoved around a little bit because the whole, I mean, because ultimately they ended up fighting the Vorlons almost more than they did the Shadows before it was all right. said and done. And there were a lot of right. White Star versus Vorlon battles going on. You know, that was. That was impressive to me. I was, I was really, you know, the the White Stars versus those Warline ships. That I mean, that I wasn't expecting that. I, I was never dreaming before season four, or really before the end of season three. I was never dreaming that we were going to see the Vorlons in a bad way. I, I, you know, we we always had them in a good slash neutral slash enigmatic way, mm-hmm. but I never thought they would go hard on, you know, villain full full bore villain. And yeah, um, I, so, 
I, I definitely like that development, but I just feel like it's almost an unfair fight because the Shadow War got six episodes this season, yeah, and the Earth Civil War got in the teens. Um, so like it, it's it's a little bit of a disparity, but there's so much that goes on with the Earth Civil War and with uh, you know the telepaths and Edgars and the you know ISN you know sort of propaganda campaign Ugh. and you know all yeah. this stuff that's going on. So there's a lot of you know, developments that go on with the Earth Civil War. So I felt like that's more interesting. That's for sure. Season four. All right, Andy, Earth War or Shadow War? Uh, you know, I loved, this was a, such a hard question because I love both of them. I thought the resolutions to both were really cool, but I'm going to have to go with the uh, the Shadow War. I just, uh, he just totally flipped the expectations on, on that, the way that that ended. I thought it was spectacular. Uh, I look. I was looking back. That was one of the few episodes that I gave a 5.0 to throughout the entire series, mm. and I wasn't expecting to to like it that much. I remember mm. it being good going into it, but I thought, yeah, four, four point five. But that was a solid five. Um, Me too. I I thought it was a great a great way to to wrap up the the uh, the conflict, and the shadow conflict was was much more epic. I think it was it was much more grand and and um, space opera. Than it's cosmic, the, mm-hmm. yeah, more cosmic, yeah, than the, um, the than the Earth Civil War. So I think it it tied more into the themes of Babylon Five, even though the Earth Civil War was the longer of the two conflicts. I mean, that started way earlier. I still think that the Shadow War tied more into the the, the grander themes of Babylon Five than the Earth conflict did. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's why I think that conflict was bigger. And the resolution was more impactful to me. But not to the people of Earth, because they didn't even know it happened. (laughs) (laughs) We're still dealing with that whole shadow war? Question mark? What? (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. Everything you said, you summed it up exactly my thoughts. That's exactly it, is that they were very close. I loved them both. But the shadow war was why I was watching the show. Clark was an annoyance. I'm glad they got rid of him, but I was there for the shadow war. The shadow war was awesome. Into the fires of 5.0 and uh, loved it, loved it, loved it. Everything about it. Yep. Um, and yeah, will you, will you come with us? <laughs> Still one of my favorite bits ever. Yeah, I guess to me, like the thing I would have wanted was for them to actually get the Vorlons and the Shadows to fight each other rather than White Stars fighting Vorlons and Shadows. Well, you know, and they and, they and brought that, them together. And, that was the idea. It was the crucible. And then bringing... for Sheridan to have his speech once they're both decimated, then maybe there would have been some reason for them to listen to him. But I, yeah. I just feel like there was no reason for them to listen to him. Well, at I, that point, I understand what you're saying. I think. I think, and Andy, correct me if I'm wrong in what I think here, because I'm sure you can. I think that it was, it was that the Shadows and Vorlons basically knew they needed to leave. They knew they were way overstaying their welcome, but they just couldn't leave if the other one wouldn't. And what Sheridan basically did was, A, bring them together and force them to confront each other when they'd been studiously avoiding each other for thousands of years, and B, he brought... Lorian into the mix to kind of go, boys, you know, shake his finger. And I feel like what that did, you didn't need him to blow each other up. You needed him to actually have to, it's like quarreling spouses that won't even look at each other. You need to get them in the same room. You need to get them to look at each other. And you need the father figure there to say, now, both of you cut that out and listen to each other and listen to me. And then they kind of were able to say, okay, well, if he's going, I can go. 
but we kind of need to stay because these these younger races need us. And Sheridan's like, no, we don't. And Lorian's like, no, they don't. And they're kind of like, oh, well, if if they're willing to go, we're willing to go. That's that's kind of the. Am I crazy here? That's kind of the. That's the gist of how I took it. No, I I agree. I don't think the shadows and the Vor- Vorlons were ever in direct conflict with each other. Mm-hmm. Their philosophies were in conflict yeah. with each other, but they were never. They never went at it. Even going back thousands of years, they they were never in direct conflict with each other. They saw themselves as shepherding the younger races in their own way. Mm-hmm. They they never thought, oh, I, I'm using these races against the Vorlons. They they were using the races to do what they thought they needed. Oh, right, to, to win the argument. Them. They had an argument with each other, and they were using, like, you know, like, to mm-hmm. see, like, my way is better, and I'm going to mm-hmm. show you my way is better. I understand all that. I was just saying that I expected, and what I still think would have been better, was when Sheridan was trying to put them together, he was trying to get them into a direct conflict so they would go head-to-head rather right. than do this proxy thing that they were doing. Right. But, yeah. And well, and that was Sheridan's innovation in Season 3 was to shame Kosh into actually doing anything against mm-hmm. the Shadows. That's the first right. time they'd ever directly fought the Shadows. And the, you can just imagine back at, back at Zahadum, uh, Shadow Boss number one and Shadow Boss number two are like, the Vorlons did what? I mean, there was probably some, you know, shadow underwear in a in a knot when the word <laughs> came in that that they had openly attacked the shadows. That was right. paradigm shifting. So, good stuff. This is all really cool. All right, if you thought that little debate was was it was intense, <laughs> here comes an even better one. I think we got three all time villains doing some of their best work. I think, arguably, for each one. In this season, we had, I mean, these are the three arguably biggest villains on the show. I can't think of anybody. I mean, there's a few that are kind of like B-tier, like Cartagia, um, you know, people like that. But uh, but Morden, President Clark, and Bester are the big three villains of this series, right? Even there, I, I part, well, partly because Morden represents the shadows, so you don't need a shadow boss. He kind of is the representative. He's the mouth of Sauron. You don't get Sauron, mm-hmm. but you get the mouth of Sauron. Okay, so which of those was the best villain in whatever way you want to define them? Nathan, I'll start with you this time. Okay. Yeah, so uh, I thought about this one for a little bit, and um, so what I found interesting when I thought about it because I'd never thought about this before, was that you look at Morden. Morden is style over substance. Um, You know, like, he is a very charismatic actor. He's got that sort of oily... He does that oily sort of, like, you know, uh, know, I'm going to convince you of this, you know, fast talk, you know, kind of... I mean, not, not fast talk necessarily, but just, like, really good at just sort of exuding confidence in his in his methods and, and getting people to do what he wants them to do. So he's sort of style over substance. Then we got Clark, who is such a non-entity that we <laughs> barely even see him in the thing. So he's but he he causes so many things to happen. He's substance over style. That's true. You that's know, there's good. almost no screen presence to Clark, but he causes a lot to happen. That's good. But then you think of Bester. Bester is both style and substance. <laughs> Bester Walter Koenig, uh, you know, I mean, his career I think peaked late in life um, because mm. when you go from you know Chekhov to Bester, I mean, but and I like Chekhov just fine, 
but Bester is such an interesting character and has such a dominating screen presence and he's but yet he's also capable and causes things to happen and is well connected and is a mastermind and all of that so I feel like Bester is the best villain of the season because he brings both style and substance I, I really like that that's a really good breakdown of it Andy and I call uh, Morden evil Rod Serling by the way <laughs> <laughs> yes kind of sums him up um, uh-huh. see now I want a spinoff show where Mr. Morden introduces an evil shadow story every episode or something <laughs> <laughs> that would be so good picture if you will my friends um, alright uh, Andy what do you think what can you add uh, to what Nathan just laid out there he made a good I, argument I, Right. I cannot add anything to that. That was spot on perfect. I mean, Bester of the three was the most well-rounded and the, the, mm-hmm. the deepest character mm-hmm. of, of all three of those villains. But he was just so insidious. I just absolutely loved hating him. I mean, yeah. I, I, I felt like Mr. Garibaldi. I just wanted to punch him every time I saw him. The other two were evil, but it, I, they never elicited the emotional response from me that I, I got when I whenever I saw Bester because I just knew he was going to screw with them somehow. Oh, in that and, moment when he gets with Garibaldi in the train car yes. and explains that because he wants Garibaldi, walking Garibaldi cannot do anything about it. So right. He wants to explain to him how thoroughly he has screwed him. Yep. <sighs> yeah. That it, it, if for nothing else, that moment right there, Bester is the worst or best villain. Mm. I feel like if Morden wasn't enslaved to the shadows now you can make an argument that he liked it (laughs) i'm not sure i'm not sure how much it was they had a gun to his head versus he's just like work for the shadows cool career advancement you know you know because the lens says like those who would not serve would have been killed or or you know uh or Mm. coerced or whatever i like to believe morden was the one who was like these guys are really powerful i want to be with them and was totally willing and that's why they made him the front man conquer the galaxy cool count me (laughs) now we know there is a book right that goes into more of his backstory and all the shadow of his name or something like that that um that was in the old dell line before before it ended but i ha- i only read part of it i don't remember i guess andy and i'll get around to it sometime in 2025 or 2026 <laughs> the way it's going uh but yeah i i feel that way um yeah clark is just the banality of evil right as they say just he's just the most boring chubby little dude that is no threat at all other than he happens to be in charge of the earth alliance government and and therefore can do evil stuff but yeah i'll I'll just say this i did a poll on twitter a few months ago and i asked which of these three is the best babylon five villain and bester won in a landslide yeah i i was kind of surprised i thought morden would do better but bester just trounced him morden is the guy that stands up when the aliens invade and say let me be the first to welcome our new shadow overlord. <laughs> right. Yes, he is. Yeah. And Clark's you're gonna just need like, a, you're going to need somebody to, you know, be a front man among the humans. I'll be that guy. That's right. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and Clark just ends up getting appointed to some important job in it, but never really, like, earned it or anything. You know, he was just mm-hmm. over standing over in the corner, you know, and he got it. So that's good. I like it. I, I agree with all that. So uh, now... Andy, we've always up until we haven't really done it this season. We changed the uh, categories around. We, you know, during especially during season one, we had the Orenzento Ari Benzane overacting award because 
in the in the episode with the strike, and it really shows you how far the show comes. That in season one there was a whole episode just about a dock worker strike. Not that that was bad, but the stakes were a little different then than they would be later, right? So Oren Zento was the extremely overacted character that was there, like saying, "We should shoot all the dock workers if they." <laughs> he was that guy, right? And he really, really chewed the scenery. And then Ari Benzane, of course, from one of my favorite episodes, Eyes, was the guy that possibly could have been in charge of Babylon 5. And he also really chewed the scenes with, you know, he yelled, Mr. a lot, which pretty much. (laughs) So we we named a whole award for them, and we occasionally found actors that kind of qualified, though nobody ever outdid the two of them, I don't think. I think... Lord Reefa's eyebrows came close. Yeah, Lord Reefa. <laughs> just by themselves, they right. did. That is true. <laughs> that is true. So, do we have anybody from season four that qualifies for the Zento Benzane Memorial Trophy? You know, I looked through all my notes, and I, I never nominated anybody once for that episode. And the only one that came close was uh, Edgar's guy. What was his name? Uh, from Zimrus Jr.? No, but what was his his lackey's name? Oh, the lackey. Oh yeah. gosh, yes, yeah. The gray-haired guy. I he he came Doug or very, something. He's just a yeah. weird. Yeah, he, just he had came some very close. He came he right did. up to the edge. But then they they then he even got a personality in the the last couple episodes. So. That was it. Yeah. All right. Hold on. Yeah. Let, let's. That's exactly right. The first couple times we saw him, he was. JMS patented thug number one, and you and I are on the record hating JMS's random right. thugs. We've been on the yeah. <laughs> but then here comes an episode where he actually has conversations with Garibaldi, and you're like, okay, when you actually put a little effort into writing his dialogue and his backstory exposed through it, he, he's kind of I, I, Wayne, Doug, he just had some random. Right, something generic, like that. I forget what his like name that. was. Anyway, but, but yeah, he, it, I agree with yeah, you. Yeah, when, when you gave him some meat, the actor mm. wasn't a bad actor. Right. He I just mean, didn't unlike, have much to work with. Unlike Ari Benzane, who was just a terrible actor. <laughs> just terrible. That, this guy wasn't a bad actor. He just didn't have crap to, 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 to deal with until you know we saw him in later episodes. Then it was like, oh, all right, well, that, that actor's actually not bad. All right. So did, I I can't think of anybody. Was this I, I the only thing that occurs to me was it this season or season three that Richard Mall from Night Court was the that was season three wasn't it? That was season three. Ah, uh, because we, we we can't talk bad about Richard Mall. It's too soon. <laughs> only in the sense that he was given a JMS Thug Number One. No, role. he lo- he lowered that role. <laughs> I mean, he took the material and brought it down. <laughs> down. <laughs> he did he found it here and he he found it at the bottom and yeah, he took he, it into the basement. <laughs> it's true. It's Sorry. true. Rest in peace, Richard Mall. God I loved you on Night Court. God hey, bless he, you, he, Bull. But good right. lord, that was bad. All right, yeah. all right. Shifting gears again. What was oh, the? Oh, you didn't let me answer. Oh crap! Was there an overacting, Nathan? All right, when I think about overacting and I think about the later seasons, I go with Minister Verini. Mm. Um, Ooh, okay. That, right. that sort of like, oh, no, no, <laughs> you know, like sort of pastels, thing. That pastels, pastels. Very different from the thug, yeah. Very different from the thug sort of thing you guys were talking right. about, but it still feels like an over 
an overacting performance to me. So. Yep. Yep. Forgot I was going the other way with it, but that's exactly true. He did. Uh, and yet he's another one that over time kind of gets. Uh, right. I don't know, in season five, he gets yeah. a little more meat to him like, yes. when he's been taken over and yeah. everything. Spoiler, like spoiler. Like, watch out, watch out. Right. Spoiler. <laughs> I apologize. No, no, no. But you're exactly right. Yeah. He does it again, just like the guy we were just talking about. When you give him a little more to work with, it's not so bad. But when they have just a flimsy little bit to play with, they eh, it's usually not good results. <laughs> Although I do love the idea that Londo just basically almost picks him at random to be the Region. <laughs> like, oh, that guy will do. <laughs> the, the guy that said I smelled bad. Yeah. <laughs> Remember? <laughs> Your coat right. has the air of much travel. <laughs> oh, it smells bad. I got you. Okay. Um, all right. Best season four episode. Man, it's a tough one right here. I don't I don't know where I'm gonna go with this, but uh, uh, Andy, best season four episode. Uh, I still say intersections in real time. That's my one of my all-time favorite episodes of any TV series ever. I thought it was absolutely fantastic, and I know Van, you absolutely hated it, but uh, it, it, <laughs> I, I'm I'm going to I'm going to die on this hill. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I wish that my um, soundboard. St- oh, it does, <laughs> Andy. To that, I can only say wrong. <laughs> there you go. Sleeping, I- sleeping in light. It is a very, very close second. I mean, it's just like a point zero zero one off. Because I can we count it emotional, though? Yeah, I was well, about to say, I feel like yeah, that's kind of cheating. That is cheating. You're right. Yeah. You're right. That's cheating. So yeah, but it. I mean, it's it. It was fantastic. I thought it. That, that's what really made me sit up and say, "Holy crap! This 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 is a great show. Great writing." It that's made me go, great. "Don't eat the sandwich, man." <laughs> Uh, I just didn't didn't get it. We, and Andy and I did like two hours of therapy about this episode, and <laughs> we we came out of it no different than we went in, did we, Andy? I think we pretty much stuck to our guns all the way through, and that was this, that. This so. is true. I I will say that Team Andy came up, and and <laughs> they, they that all the all the patrons sided with me to the yeah, point where, they always where do. I, I I came up with a T-shirt for everybody and all that stuff. So yeah. <laughs> This is this is true. This is true. All right. So, Nathan, what was your favorite season four episode? Yeah, you know, this one was really hard. Like, it's weird that this one is so hard compared to the other seasons, just because of the fact that I think that this season did sort of almost meld together in my mind. Yeah. So sort of like what Andy was talking about, because I put down moments of transition because I remember that conclusion to the Minbari Civil War. And to me, that was like like the high point of the season. Like, I felt like that was the conflict that resolved itself the, the way that I wanted it to resolve itself. Mm-hmm. But I had forgotten like how the episodes were sort of like spaced out and how like, you know, they sort of, you know, were interwoven with other storylines. But that's what I'm going with just because based on my memory, I'm saving myself for the Blu-rays. Um, <laughs> basically, I'm going to binge the series when the Blu-rays come out. Um, so I'll do hopefully when we do the season five retrospective, I'll be pretty fresh on uh, on everything. There but, you go. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I'm. I'm really looking forward to this season five retrospective. <laughs> <laughs> um, It'll be interesting. Yeah. Yes, I'm gonna say this is really hard because I, I, I'm. I'll say up front that I'm probably just gonna have to say into the fire. I mean, just because of just ah, oh, it's just everything it is. 
But that is with the qualification that I love Rising Star. I don't think Rising Star is my favorite episode this season, though. I think it's mm. a, I think it was an unexpected epilogue to an epilogue that I still am just surprised even exists. The fact that that episode exists just makes me happy, right? Um, and the other one, though, that I got to mention, and I never until we watched it this time through, I never thought I would say this. But I remember being so surprised, and Andy, correct me, remember, or rem- see if, th- if this tracks with your memory. Mm-hmm. I remember being so surprised by whatever happened to Mr. Garibaldi, mm. because it's barely about Garibaldi. When you see that title, you think, oh, this one is one where he's like in the little room and he's yelling and breaking the set and everything. Right. But that was two seconds, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever happened to Mr. Garibaldi is the episode where Sheridan and Lorian have their whole great long conversation and, and they're in right. the dark and, you know, and it, it's just a deeply philosophical conversation. It's emotional. It's about Delenn. You know, do you have anything worth living for and all that? That episode yep. hit me way harder this time than I was ever expecting. Cause I'd forgotten, I had forgotten how quickly, again, here's that whole thing with season four, right? I had forgotten how quickly we go from Sheridan lost on Zahadoom to Sheridan and Lorian having their, you know, conversation that ends up with them going back to Babylon 5. That happened really quickly. Yeah. And so, and yeah, I, I... I gave that one four stars. I'm just looking back at my notes for right now. I gave that one four stars as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't remember much about that episode because right. it said, you know, whatever happened to Mr. Garibaldi. So I'm thinking, yeah, that's the one where they find Garibaldi. I don't remember what else happened in that episode, but then it, it like you said, it, it 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 hits a lot bigger than than you remember it. Hit. The the first three are really like a three parter to a certain degree. I think. Yeah. You could. You could, I mean, I know that the first six are like a movie, but the mm. first three really are like one episode. There's hardly any break. It's it's all right. Susan dealing with Babylon Five while Sheridan deals with Am I alive? Am I dead? Who's this weird looking dude that? Is named I absolutely love that, too. I'm glad you mm. brought up that episode because, mm-hmm. you know, I really hate cheating. And a lot of shows like to cheat. They like to do the, you know, oh, like, you know, deus ex machina, you know, character is actually alive. Ha ha ha. You know, it was it was a unbeatable situation. He came out. Uh, but JMS made sure that there was consequence yeah. there, right? Like he Sheridan doesn't come out of that unscathed. He's basically been allowed to like have the last few seconds of his life stretched out into 20 years, but that's all he gets, you know? And so I really love that, 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 you know, allows us to keep Sheridan as a character, but it isn't just like, oh, because, you know, some being that was living in the center of Zahadum grabbed him before he hit the ground. And so he's fine, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like that. And, and it made it an emotional journey too, you know, like Sheridan, you know, it wasn't a deus ex machina that saved Sheridan. It was yes. there was consequence to it, and that's what I absolutely love about it because it's like Sheridan's already jumped out of something and then been saved miraculously. So like this time there had to be something there because I remember watching that episode the first time through um, uh, the end of season three. Uh, it's just called Zaha Doom, right? Yeah. And, and Sheridan jumps at the end and a nuke falls, and I'm just like. Um, He's dead. <laughs> you know, I wonder if they killed him off. You know? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you, you're so, like, how do you how do you how do you survive that? I'm really dying to know, right? Right. Yeah, and so I like that it was there was consequence to his coming yeah. back. And we we talked about that too. JMS does have a, a a pattern of killing off 
people that you don't expect to die off. So mm, that's or, for sure. or getting rid of them or writing them out of the series or whatever. So yeah, watching that the first time, I I, I didn't know if he was going to come back or not. All right, let's do the least favorite season four episode. And this is this is hard too because it was a, such a good season. But uh, Andy, it's your turn again. I, you know what? I take good notes, fan, so it wasn't too difficult for me at all. <laughs> you do. You take much better than me. Um, I had two of them that were the two lowest rated for the season were Racing Mars. Yeah. And the, uh, what was the one called? The, the one with the, the, uh, oh, the, the TV show one. Illusion of Truth? Or Illusion of Truth. That one was also a 2.5, yes. Um, but I think looking at both of them, I think I, I rated, we rated Illusion of Truth so lowly because we just didn't like. It made us mad. It made us mad, right. We just didn't like what the people, how they were screwing with everybody. So that's why we, we, we rated that one so low. Yeah. Racing Mars we rated low, or at least I rated low, simply because it was just not a very good episode. Yeah. Um, we, I think we both had issues with that one. But yeah, that one was my probably my least favorite of the season. I don't even honestly remember what happened on Racing Mars. I've probably seen it six times now in my life, and I have no idea what happened in it. I'm assuming to go, it's a Garibaldi to on the, Mars Garibaldi on Mars, yeah. uh, but it was also Captain Jack. Remember good old Captain okay, Jack? Okay, that's the one. Yeah, we have a winner. Yeah. That's yeah, the one. Was, All right, Nathan, was, are we wrong? <laughs> well, again, because I haven't watched the season uh, as as recently as you guys did, I had to go with things that jumped out big on me, and you guys are going to hate this, but I just say Into the Fire because of my... Ah! No! <laughs> no! 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 Where's the... Where's that's... Nathan, that's totally legit because some of our patrons also hated Into the Fire, and it. it, it but that's the thing; I don't hate it. I just feel it's the weakest of the right. season. Right? Well, yeah. It's like this yeah. whole season is actually really good. So, right. No. Right. No, that that's that's totally legit. There's the, you, you don't have to defend that at all. Wrong. Just... <laughs> Wrong. 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 There. <laughs> Hopefully there. I've settled that now. That was glad to glad to be a little subtle tea. That name is not Van. No, a little public <laughs> service there for everyone. All right, I should have just left the entire soundboard open. I thought all I would need was Babylon Five sound effects. Little did I know how much I would need the other the other ones. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go erasing Mars for the reasons Andy has stated. Um, let me see, best season four character. Hmm, man, Andy. Uh, I knew you were going to toss this one to me for a I really wanted to say Ivanova. She's won this award for. To do this she's season. won this award before, right? To be fair, right, right, and she and she's she's been fantastic in the few episodes that she was in. She did. She had some really great moments, but I, I can't say that. I'm going to have to go with uh, um, Delenn. Delenn. I thought she had some really cool character moments. Some great character development, and I, I just love the whole relationship relationship her and, and John had. I, I mm-hmm. she's just and, and she's just a cool character. Yeah, I mean, can we say that this is the best love story on television? Because oh. I kind of feel we, like it is. Oh, we man. have said that. We have gone so far as to say this is the best love story in sci-fi. Mm. It's certainly the greatest space opera love story. Right. Yes, even even more than Luke and Leia. Sorry, yeah, and, did I say that? I, I meant Hanukkah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the amazing thing is how chaste it is, too. Like, you know, yeah. like usually when, you know, on TV, when they want to go for a love story, it's got to be like very sexy, you know. And in mm. this, it's, it's a chaste love story, but it's like, I, I, 
I can't think of a pure. better couple. Right. <laughs> no, seen. yeah. yeah. It's, it's very pure. Th- their love is, is on an epic uh, scale. I mean, it's just, it mm-hmm. is pure love. It, it's, it's awesome. God, you know what that made me think of though is when they do the reboot, we're gonna have yeah. it's you know you know I I bet ten dollars ten American dollars right now that in they do if they do the reboot, which I may not ever have to pay up because they may not ever, but if they do the reboot, it's it's gonna be a it's not gonna be that higher plane that you guys are talking about. It's gonna be that she comes out of Sheridan's quarters, you know, disheveled the next day kind of a thing, you know, and makes the walk of shame across the blue sector well, or whatever there are a couple of times when they they allude to that as well but I, they they didn't build it up as a physical attraction that led to yeah. their relationship they built it up as the souls were attracted to each other i mean they, they these two are the purest soulmates that i've ever seen portrayed i mean it, it they, yeah they were you know it i mean it, it was it was the perfect relationship so all right so andy says Delin, Nathan, did you did you go along with that, or did you have somebody else? Uh, I have Marcus, and oh, okay. um, I, I loved Marcus, and his death, his sacrifice in this season, yeah. was one of the things that really hit me hard, more so than Ivanova leaving. Like I, mm. I just, as I felt like Marcus brought so much when he came in, and um, and I know JMS has said that if he had known that he was going to be, have a season five without. Claudia, that he probably would have changed his mind about killing off Marcus, um, but um, yeah, I I feel like you know he he had so many good scenes, you know him and, and Franklin on Mars is is great. Um, I love the interaction between the two of them, um, and yeah, so I'll, I'll just go with Marcus on this because uh, you know this is the last chance to, to vote for him anyway. <laughs> What Mar- the strength of Marcus's character was that he was so innocent. I mean, mm-hmm. yes. and that's what that's what made his death hit so darn hard. Was it? It was the death of innocence. I mean, it was it was really rough. well. Yeah, and it was another pure love, right? Because he right. he loved Ivanova so much that even if she had no interest in him, he would sacrifice himself for her. Yep. And so, yeah, no, I mean, that's yeah, that that hit me hard. Yep. Agreed. Somebody said it was, and it may be one of the characters in the show, right? That he was, he was walking around looking for a cause to die for. Mm-hmm. I think Delenn says that. Yeah. Yeah. Probably so. And uh, there were so many characters that I could have gone with. I mean, just yeah. <laughs> it, it took me a while to, to to narrow this one down, but yeah, I, Marcus was right up there as well. I wanted to say Susan because, like you said, the season, the the things that she got to do were great. But I just don't feel like she got to do enough this season to to like meet the threshold. Right. I'm just gonna have to say this was Sheridan's season. I think that mm-hmm. um, he won the Shadow War, he won the Earth War, he became president of the galaxy, married the girl, and who was yep. another queen of the galaxy. And um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to you know, it's like it's like giving driver of the day to Max Verstappen. But yeah, I mean, he <laughs> he kind of earned it, you know. So there you go. Um, most surprising season four. Anybody really kind of surprise you, Andy, on this season? I, I, you know, I, I had a hard time with this one because I, I, I knew everything that everybody was going to do. So it's kind of mm-hmm. hard to look back and, and see who really surprised me the most. I yeah. think I, what really surprised me the most, though, I'd have to go with, uh, it, it's kind of cheating, but it's Jakar and 
Londo, their relationship, mm. how it just completely, by the end of the season, how it had completely flip-flopped from where it was the past four, the past three and a half seasons, you know? Um, how they were, you know, we even talked about it, how they were coming out in that, that, the, the last episode, and they were just joking back and forth like an old married couple. So yeah. I think that was the most surprising development, character development of the season. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, Nathan, most surprising character. So Andy uh, thought along the same lines that I did. Um, so I'm going to go with the other thought that I had, which is almost kind of a cheat. I am going to say, and this maybe not so much character, Veer killing Cartaja was a huge, <laughs> like the probably the biggest shock this season to me. That's you know, legit. Unexpected, you know, an unexpected thing that happened with a character um, that, yeah, like I never saw that coming. I never thought Veer would would do that. I, I, Veer had a lot of cool moments like that. I think his character development this season was kind of surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so yeah, it's a, Veer's my choice for this season. The, the thing about that Veer moment that's always struck me, and I don't know if I talked about this at the time, Andy, probably, and I just forgot, is as you know, as a writer, it occurs to me that when JMS was writing that whole episode and he got to the moment where Londo presumably was going to do it, you could just see JMS, and I know that he said... JMS has said that when it came time to kill Cartagia, Veer just came to him metaphysically, right, and said, let me do it. And JMS is like, oh, okay. But that's writer talk. We understand that. What, what, what I think probably actually happened was that JMS got to the point where Londo was going to do it, and JMS thought to himself, this is awfully predictable. Is there a way to do this that's less predictable but still get it done? And then he thought, oh, Veer is right standing right there and he's the one that would never do it on purpose except he does right i feel like that it probably happened because jms didn't want it to just be you know connect the dots it needed to literally veer off to the side right uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. so uh that was my thought on it yeah well, yeah, and, it, and again, it's one of those things that, that's so great about Babylon 5 of these currents that run through these characters across the series. And we've already seen Veer show courage in the face of, you know, something reprehensible when he's trying to help the Narns get out, you know, and, and trying mm-hmm. to, you know, so he, but it's, but, it's, but it's less overt because it's something that he can hide behind this false identity and, and get that done. Mm-hmm. But he's stepping up like he's he's increasing like Cartagia is so evil and the consequences of what he's doing are so awful that Veer is you know showing that courage yet again and it propels him forward and so you get to the point where you realize that you know because we already know you know even at this point that he's going to be emperor one day because we were told that that's true um you know that that maybe he won't be such because you know at first when you think about that like oh my god Veer would be a disaster as an emperor but you see that he's growing and maturing as a person and becoming stronger and so like it kind of also gives you sort of the idea of maybe Veer won't be such a disaster as emperor when that happens. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, let's see, we got a couple more and then we're gonna thank our patrons and then finish up with our last couple. Um, oh, I was going to say my supri- my most surprising season four character. I'm going to say Garibaldi in the sense that I didn't know if there was any coming back for him. Mm-hmm. Right. And it su- if nothing else, he surprised me by how quickly he was able to come back. He basically just went, Lita, tell them I'm telling the truth. Lita's like, <laughs> he's telling the truth. Everybody's like, oh, okay, Garibaldi, you're back. It's all good. I'm like, seriously? 
I'm so, well, I mean, the thing is, though, the other end of that is, like, a lot of shows where it's, like, people, you know, like, are upset about people for things they did, like, seasons ago, and they just drag out the drama, yeah. and so it's kind of nice to just have, sometimes just have a, we have a telepath, we can solve this really quickly, you know, sort of moment. <laughs> plot device, come over here, redheaded plot device, come over here and solve this for us, yeah. But that did surprise me that they rehabbed Garibaldi in, like, five seconds of, of airtime. That, right. that really did surprise me. I thought he's going to have a long road back. Oh no, he's not. It's all good. So, and I and the people like Garibaldi, so they were happy about that. I'm not a huge Garibaldi fan, so yeah. But there's still consequence in season five coming. So yeah, that's true. I, it, yeah, that's it's true. not just a hand wave and everything's good. Right. He's not out of the woods yet. That's true. Uh, let's see. Favorite season four guest star. And I was looking at who we really had. We didn't have as many because they were really sticking to their business this time. But uh, Wortham Krimmer as Emperor Cartagia. You had the great Wayne Alexander as Lorian. Uh, you have whoever that guy was that played President Clark for five minutes. <laughs> uh, you had, I guess, Marjorie Monahan was number one. Ephraim Zimlis Jr. was, um, what's his name on Mars? Edgars. Edgars. I can never remember Edgars. Yeah. Am I for? I mean, of course, Zathras. Who am I forgetting? I, I don't know if there's any other guest stars that we're forgetting. Really, they, we didn't have a whole lot. This we didn't. We didn't have a lot of those. Um, David Warner shows up, you know, for five minutes or, uh, right. or that kind of thing. You know, we we had Nerun. Yeah, mm. yeah. But see, these were all. I mean. The, the guest stars in seasons one, two, and three felt like the stunt casting guest stars, right. whereas, mm-hmm. whereas the guest right. stars in season four felt like important characters that were part of the show. They didn't just get off a shuttle and then like talk to Zach or talk to Garibaldi and then go talk to Delenn and do something and then leave. You know what I mean? Right. It was different. Yeah, it'd be like having Penn and Teller basically as themselves on the show. Yeah. Yeah, was that was 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 that this season? I can't even remember. Oh no, no, no. spoilers, spoilers. Okay, well, I mean, that's coming. We know, yeah. So I, you know, what do you guys think? Either one of you have a strong opinion about the guest star? I, Uh, for for me, it's Cartagia. Um, That was such a disturbing performance. I think he did a fantastic job of playing insane. And you didn't know, like, like at first it just seems like, oh, he's just this silly, happy person. Like, that, you know, he's insane that way. But then it's like, no, he can casually murder people. He can talk to dead people's heads that he has, you know, in a room. And, you know, like, all that. And, like, as Londo (laughs) continues to see, like, each new step of this. And as Londo continues, you know, you see this through Londo's point of view as you yes. see how how awful and how horrible this all is. Like the reaction he has, it's so well done between the two of them uh, as actors. And yeah, yeah I, I I think Cartagia really stole the show uh, in the episodes that he's in. You can make I, a good argument for him, yeah, Andy. Right. I I was leaning towards Cartagia because Cartagia because he could have taken that character so over the top and made him so goofy. But he he always reined it in. He made him crazy, but he gave him that that edge of just mm-hmm. danger. I mean, he can he can turn on a dime from laughy right. jokey to murderous. Right, yes. and, and he didn't take him over the top. I mean, no more than any Centauri is over the top. <laughs> so he didn't he didn't take him to to absurd levels. But I, Efr, the um, Efren Zimbalist Jr. I thought mm-hmm. he played that character so well because. Up until, I mean, he came across as perfectly reasonable 
mm. up until yeah. that one moment. You know, when he walked into that room with all the the, uh, the all the telepaths in their little uh, coffins, and then he came across as as you know pure Nazi. But it, it, to, to be able to pull that character off to make him seem like just a reasonable businessman who just had slight political differences from what you know what what the main character has to being without changing his the way he he you know was talking or anything without changing the the character the characteristics of the character he turned into this awful evil genocidal maniac i mean it was it was amazing how he pulled that off so subtly yeah i agree i was probably going to go with Ephraim from jr i was just thinking how his daughter would have made a good uh maybe number one maybe um i think his i think that stephanie zimbalist would have made a good anna sheridan if if uh Box Lightner's actual real real wife at the time hadn't been available. She right. would have been good for that role too. Kind of looked like her a little bit too. But um, but yeah, I, I think those two were really good. But I agree. And you know, it's funny because the the actor that played Cartagia, Wortham Krimmer, and he goes by different versions of that name. He's got like something Wortham, something Wortham Krimmer, whatever. I think doesn't he end up like going into real estate or something? I don't think he acts anymore. I think he acted in, like two things and then went off and. Did I else. think he's a. I think he's a lawyer now, or yeah. a. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what did yeah. he end up doing? He, he yeah. He he was doing like uh, um, uh, contracts and stuff for actors, kind of like a, an Asian type. What it yeah. When I when I first watched this show, I thought it was the actor who played Balky on Perfect Strangers. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. It was only years later that I realized it was somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been like him. That would have been a whole different character. Wow. <laughs> that would yes. The um yeah, very similar to Julie Caitlin Brown that played Natoth. She actually ended up being like an agent. In yeah. fact, I've always said the the reason that Dragon Con would always have so many Babylon Five actors back in the nineties and early two thousands is because she had she had contacts with all of them and Dragon Con would go to her and then she'd get all of them and they'd all be there, you know. So Um yeah, okay. So I think yeah, it's between Zimbless Jr. and, and Cartagia, but uh um, and I go with Simless Jr. Who do you miss the most after this season? We lost Susan. We lost Marcus. We lost Clark. We lost Morden. We lost the Shadows. We lost the Vorlons. Well, uh, we'd already lost Kosh, so it wasn't all the Vorlons, but it was the rest of them. Um, and I, again, I don't remember. We lose. I guess we lose Cartagia if you want to look at it that way. We lose Nerun. Mm-hmm. Um, who who do you miss the most, Nathan? You know, this one was really hard for me because, uh, you know, I already said that, you know, I had this love for Marcus. Marcus was my favorite character at the time. Um, but I'm going to go with Susan. And the reason I'm going to go with Susan is because if we had had Susan, we wouldn't have had Lockley. So yeah. I <laughs> oh, feeling gosh. throughout season five, again, I know it's kind of spoilers again, but it's a, I kept feeling throughout season five of you're not Susan. Yeah. You know, and that that's that that's, you know. A little bit of a shame for, for Tracy Scoggins because you know that's something she you know she can't be somebody else. But I still I, I just feel like I would have rather had Susan in season five. So no, for sure. I really missed her. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Andy. Uh, Ed, it, absolutely, Susan. I mean, we we talked about before. She is the heart and soul of of not just the the character of the station, but the the actress and the character was the heart and soul of of the show. So the the fact that she's not there after season four it is just a, a huge blow to to the show, both in the story and you know to the show itself. So yeah, we we definitely miss her. I think that one of the great observations that you and I have come up with over the course of this podcast series is that Ivanova was the station as a character. 
Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. And and when you lose Ivanova for season five, it feels like the station's not the station anymore in some right. ways. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it with 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 yeah, with uh for all that Lockley is interesting, it felt like Babylon six at that point. Right. Like we were on a yeah. different station somehow. The the budget being lower and the time to film it being shorter doesn't help either, obviously. But yeah. Right. Right. We'll talk about And we lost that. other characters too. So there's a lot of things that feed into that feeling that yes. season five is somehow other. For yeah. sure. Right. For sure. Uh, we got a couple of categories left to go, but I want to quickly thank our patrons for keeping our program going. And uh, we just could not do this show without you. Uh, our patrons thank them all so much, include Christopher Anastasia, Allison Rich, Colonel Dad, a.k.a. Ari Benzine. I'm missing my category, mister. Um, <laughs> Colonel Dad always makes me strain my vocal cords to do that properly. <laughs> Leah G., Rich Hammett, Ben, Massive, Geek Cred Rose, Debbie, No Spoilers, Norris, Dragon Condolin, Emma Jane Alexander, Emmanuel Seaman, Jal Mondo Six, Michael O'Connor, Middle Age Geek Tim, Pete. Most listeners won't know why for a year, but Andy was right about sleeping in light. Furman. Andy has a fan club in our patron group, and it just ticks, ticks me off every week. Dang it. Uh, let's see. Steve Palmer, Stu Parker, The Geek Boy, Una Vez, and Una Luna Azul, Comrade Sheridan, Drazi, Gre- Drazi Green, Heather and Yancey Steingraber, Ice Cream Clone with a Boba Fett head, Michael Halbrook, Emmett, Emmett Sharp, Leah Lilili, Leah, I... Our patrons are wonderful, but sometimes they make it hard for me to pronounce their names, but I do the best I can. All of you all, thank you very, very, very much. Um, We did get a few comments, and I'm going to see how far back I can go here. I think I'm going to have to do it a different way. If you'll bear with me for one moment. Aha. Okay. So... We got a. I don't think we've had our. Um, I don't think we've had our deconstruction of falling stars comments yet, Andy. And we got a couple. Um, oh, it says load more comments. Um, oh, I think we did talk about this because this was the uh, the camera numbers for the deconstruction yeah. of falling stars. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we've been over that. If I've missed anybody's comment there, I apologize. Um, let's see. We didn't really get any comments on Stargate Universe. And by the way, I am curious. Do our do our patrons want to hear, and our listeners other than patrons, do they want to hear us do it more regularly? Because, Andy, you and I got to sit down and plan when we're going to do another installment of Stargate Universe. That I had a good time with it. We had a good show with it. And this is a good time, I think, to do it. Oh, by the way, Andy, we've also got to decide what's next. Because I think that there are probably two options in the beginning or third space, depending on whether we want to go by production order or kind of chronological, maybe. I don't know. How do you do that? So which one do we do next, in the beginning or third space? I say we do... Let's. Man, that's a good question. Didn't third space air first? A third space... Uh, I'm pretty or did sure they go straight in, in the beginning? I, ah. I, they may have done in the beginning first because they wanted to... Yeah. Get other get everybody on board for the season five. Yeah, he, into he the beginning it. was shown first. It was shown before they started season five, like yeah. while they were rerunning the rest of the series. Yeah, let's do that one. Th- they may have filmed Third Space first, and it and it's also Third Space happens in the middle of season four, and that always confuses me in terms of the order. Right. So, which one do you want to do first? 
I'll do whichever oh, one man. you want. That, let's do third space because we just finished season four, so that will yeah. be fresher in our memories. It's, it goes right in, in the, the middle begin- between the Shadow War and the Earth right. War. And in the beginning, it goes all the way, I mean, all the way back. So. All, all right. the way back. So, yeah. Third space is awesome. That's the, um, that's the HP Lovecraft episode. I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So, all right, we'll do third yeah. space in two weeks. All right, let me see if I have any other comments. Um, okay, so, uh, oh, we did have a couple of Stargate. Let's see. Jalza says, I was going to watch the first three episodes before I listened to this podcast. Two days later, after binging the whole first season, here I am. <laughs> Jalza is is a, I think, a small cat person after my own heart. And then says, <laughs> good discussion. There are a couple of things I want to go back and rewatch, then I'm going to go and binge season two. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, and Middle-Aged Geek Tim says, the use of the stones brings up so many ethical questions, not to get spoilery, but what if you choose to do something that goes against the beliefs of the person who you inhabit? No, that's a perfectly good question, Tim, and I agree. So good stuff. And I believe I saw Tim at Archon. So, uh, oh, cool. And then the last thing was um, I posted that we were delayed this week, and I said, please, Babylon 5 with us. And I had a picture of Sheridan with Babylon 5. <laughs> and Ben Massive Geek Cred Rose says, what kind of sicko would space a teddy bear? <laughs> <laughs> ben, right. see, that was, that was foreshadowing his turn in the, the final episode of, of when his hologram goes all crazy on murdering yes. the, the people, the heel turn. Yes, it, that is right. James planned it all in advance. How about that? All right, so we appreciate uh, the the patrons very much. Please go to uh, www.b5review.com, www.b5review.com, and click on the button to become a patron. And you can also leave comments and questions and have a good old time with Andy and me and 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 as we continue along. And of course, have Nathan hopefully back at the end of season five. All right, guys, last couple of questions. Episode that surprised you the most this time. Was there an episode that you just kind of went, what? For good or bad, uh, Andy? See, this wasn't on the list that you sent me, so now now you, you've got me huh? thinking about this. It was no. there. You didn't was scroll down there? far enough. There was another page. Yeah, this is the third page. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh-huh. why, don't we, why don't we toss this one to Nathan real quick? All right. <laughs> this works, Nathan? Uh, yeah, so I'm going to say, so even though I wasn't watching it through with you guys, um, <laughs> the one that I think I've changed the most on between when I first saw it and watching it as an adult is Intersections in Real Time. Um, okay. When I first saw it as a kid, I was kind of bored by it. Um, I, you know, I wanted something a little more action-y. And so, dear listeners, we got to the last couple of questions, and then my internet went out. And when my internet goes out, it really goes out, and it took the whole show down with it. And, (laughs) in fact, just as I look up at my screen, it's also taking away the Google Doc. (laughs) that had my notes on it. So I can't even tell you what the last uh, question was. Ah, Nathan just texted it to me. So the last question was going to be, who won season four? Nathan says, Bester won season four. I'm going to ask Andy. To which Andy replies, Sheridan, but dang if Bester isn't an interesting choice. And I agree. I don't think I would have thought of Bester as winning this season. But um, that's a bold and outside-the-box choice. So um, they're not with me anymore because of stupid technology problems, but 
Uh, I want to thank Andy and I want to thank Nathan for doing a great job tonight. It's always good to have Nathan on to to give us our to give us a different perspective on the season. And of course, Andy always does a great job too. And so that's it. We'll wrap up our season four review episode here. And as I said, as Andy and I decided on the air a moment ago, we will be back next time with Third Space, which is kind of the first of the TNT Babylon 5 movies produced between season four and season five. And so Andy and I will be looking at that one on our next episode. Again, I want to apologize for kind of this uh, being late. I want to get this out to you guys, so that's why I'm not going to try and reconvene for one more session to finish this episode. I think we got, I think we covered all the bases pretty well. So thanks a bunch, guys, and thank you, listeners, and thank you, patrons. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is going to get out of here for another episode. We will see you guys in two weeks. Thanks a bunch. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.